Welcome to the Optimal You podcast. This is pharmacist Steve Ersfeld. Grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 16 of the Ersfeld Pharmacy Optimal You podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Steve Ersfeld. The goal of the Optimal You podcast is to have a visit with providers and others in the healthcare industry in our area and beyond that provide services that might be helpful to you in your journey to becoming the Optimal You. If you listen all the way to the end of the podcast, I have a special offer for you as a gift for taking time to listen. Our guest today is Dr. Christina Jackson from the Omega Quant Company. Uh, but before we start a visit with Dr. Jackson, I need to let the listeners know that this podcast provides general information and is a discussion about health and health-related subjects. The information provided in this podcast is not intended or should not be construed as medical advice nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. So a little background on our guest, Dr. Jackson. She's the director of research and part owner of Omega Quant Analytics, LLC, um, and is an assistant professor in the Department of Internal Medicine at the University of South Dakota Stanford School of Medicine. Christina received her PhD in nutritional sciences from Pennsylvania State University in 2013 and completed, completed her training to become a registered dietitian in 2014. Christina continues her research in omega-3s in maternal health, helping create the prenatal DHA test and the mother's milk DHA test, and continues her clinical work by consulting with clients on the lab values from OmegaQuant. Uh, Christina lives in Sioux Falls, South Dakota with her partner and two kids and a very old dog. Do you, do mm -hmm. you still have the very old dog? Yeah, she's still she's still around. All right. But I feel like her days are numbered, so she's like extra cute to us now. <laughs> they become so docile, don't they? Yeah, they're yeah. so sweet. Yeah. Have you ever done an Omega Quant test on your dog? Um, I haven't because she hasn't gotten blood work in a while. So I should bring a kit with me next time I go to the vet for her. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anything else you want to share with uh, the listeners on the podcast about your background? Um, I, I guess I ended up working at, this is like my family business, which feels very strange. I never thought I would end up working with my dad or on what he did when I was growing up. He was, um, he's a research scientist and he was doing talks everywhere and that's how we traveled, we would always, it would always be work related <laughs> or it'd be coming back up to Sioux Falls for a family reunion. And, um, and that's also when I was in second grade, we lived in Norway for six months because he did a sabbatical there. And so his job really affected my upbringing and it was always like, seemed really cool and fun, but I just never really thought I'd end up here. And I have, <laughs> but it's been good. So my journey is is kind of similar because I, I worked in Fargo. Um, my wife and I were in Fargo for eight years, uh, pregnant with our third child. And it was like, wow, we need to move back home to grandparents to help yes. us. So I totally get that. So has, <laughs> it been, has it been fun working with your dad? Yeah, it's been good. I mean, as good as working like a family biz business can be, um, we definitely have found ourselves in like different roles, which has been very good. He started something called the Fatty Acid Research Institute in the last couple of years because um, he's old enough to retire, but he doesn't want to. So it's it's just him and um, kind of a 
international group of fatty acid researchers and they they just do research so he's like i don't want to do business stuff anymore i just want to do research write papers i'm good at it now it doesn't it's not as painful as it was as it is for me at this time <laughs> um so he's more in that side of things i still uh like half of my I kind of one foot in the research and one foot on the operations and business stuff which is nice it's like day-to-day stuff research research manuscripts and grants and things can just be so long term that it goes on and on so it's nice to have a little both <laughs> we we need people that are willing to go the extra mile to get the research done because that's that's hard stuff it's painful i, I don't think i could be a researcher Oof-da. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I one thing you you mentioned in in uh, in your childhood you spent two years in Norway is that just to research fish oil is that because that's kind of like our fish oil capital of the world right yeah um it was well it was only half a year I was in second grade though so um it was uh, studying omega threes with a uh, Dr Christian Drevin who was in Oslo I don't know I guess it was the University of Oslo um but yeah it's it was just to do some experiments there and learn from him and he's been a really great like mentor and friend to family so um we're actually planning on going back to Norway this year it's the 30 year anniversary of that time we were there so we're gonna go see our old the place where we lived and the school we went to and see Christian so it should be really fun that's awesome mm-hmm. so let's kind of dive into omega-3 testing a little bit I I always um I read an article in the paper every week and I like to talk about fish oil. I'm sure they're tired of me talking about fish oil and testing and things like that, but we're going to, we're going to dive into it again today. Um, uh, you know, we, in our, in our personal lives, we drive our vehicles, we change oil, we maintain them. We check it every, you know, three to 5,000 miles. Um, but in, in our personal lives, we don't necessarily check our, our oil in our, in our systems. Why, why do we need to check our, our omega-3 fatty acid levels? Yeah, we haven't used that metaphor in, in way too long. It's such a good one. Um, <laughs> um, old school. It's old school and it still works. Um, so measuring the oil in your body, it, it's it's just getting an objective check-in on what's, what's going on there. Um, Omega-3s, we are kind of a unique nutritional biomarker. Nutritional biomarkers are, there are not a lot of them that are easily understandable, that directly relate to what you've eaten, um, and that aren't massively affected by genetics and metabolism, like your body processing it, making it into new things. Um, So the omega-3 index, which is the amount of EPA and DHA in a red blood cell membrane, is really like it's a stable functional marker of um, your omega-3 status. And it's like HbA1c uh, versus plasma glucose. So HbA1c, when you're looking at your your overall glucose level, levels over the last three months, it just is kind of like a collective marker of your all of your peaks and valleys, basically. So on the omega-3 index, is stable like that. And stability in a marker is huge because... me eating fish an hour before testing doesn't affect the level. It's what I've done over the last three months. And so that's why it's like a trustworthy, dependable marker. Um, 
and how much you eat omega, like how many omega threes you eat. It's, there's a really strong relationship. Of course, other things affect it, but if you, you typically take in more through eating fish and seafood or, uh, omega three supplements of, of many kinds, um, your blood levels respond pretty regularly. And so, um, we've been doing a ton of, we've done tons of research on it. We've tested tons of people, um, clinically and, it's, it's just a pretty reliable marker that you can adjust your, your health and habits against. And then you can also kind of connect your health, like how you feel, um, to your blood levels. That's awesome. That's a good overview. I, I've been, a uh, kind of a fish oil fanatic for, well, I suppose the last 20 years. So I, I used to take this, this product, it was a salmon oil product and it was, it was awful when I look back at it. I would burp it up all the time. It was like, but over the course of the years, the products have gotten better, and we've we've been able to source those. And one of the things that I that I've I've uh, and maybe maybe we should first of all um, dive into, you know, what are omega threes? Why are they important for a person's body, and why why would we need to supplement with them or have a good level or or marker? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so omega-3 fatty acids, they're um, just specific kinds of fats. You know, we have like saturated fat, monounsaturated fat. It's a polyunsaturated fat of a specific kind. We call it omega-3s because there's a double bond on the third carbon from the omega end of the fatty acid molecule. So it's like a very technical term, actually. And the interesting thing is the body can't put a double bond in that position on fatty acids. And that's the same for an omega-6. It's the same. We can't put it on that double bond. And for just that reason alone, we have to eat it, makes it essential. Um, If the body could put a double bond there, it could make omega-3s and omega-6s as much as it wanted. Um, And so omega-3s and omega-6s, they are, um, they're interesting because they're not like technically considered vitamins. They don't have an RDA. Um, but we've, it's been researched. It's, I think it's the most researched nutrient or very close to the most researched nutrient, um, in the literature. Um, so omega threes, they are, uh, structurally very important in the brain and the eyes. Those are two places where omega threes are incredibly, um, uh, potent. There's a, there's a high concentration of them. Um, and then they are present throughout, all of our cells. So the cell membrane has is made up of fats and omega-3s are a part of every single cell membrane. Um, over the years, we have found that um, omega-3s have been shown, it kind of started out in the heart disease world um, early on with the like Inuit populations in, in Greenland, just seeing the, that such an extreme diet that doesn't contain very many plants and vegetables because there weren't any there. Um, but being able to have, um, a a diet on a high fat, lots of fish, lots of blubber, and still have a good cardiovascular system. So that was kind of where the uh, intrigue around omega threes showed up. Um, and since then it's, there's just been tons of research. Uh, it's now it's become a more confusing story than it used to be. Um, but there's still, I think, in general, the things I see omega threes doing consistently, it lowers triglycerides very consistently. Um, I think it does a lot around blood flow, like kind of 
put a lot of things together like endothelial function, slight reduction in um, blood pressure, um, reducing clotting time or increasing clotting time, but decreasing um, some of the pathways around clots, which is good to a point. Um, so all of that should improve blood flow. Um, it also affects, it gets into the myocardium very well and can affect how the um, how the heart functions, its flexibility, its recovery from surgery. Um, so a lot of stuff around the cardiovascular disease function. And then the other side is, uh, and blood flow is good for the whole body, like better blood flow. That's, that's going to affect a lot of things. And then inflammation, which is another systemic thing that happens all over the body and can have various um, negative effects if it's uh, too much inflammation or it's not properly uh, resolved. So the omega-3s, um, they're actually metabolized into a ton of different um, compounds that can affect the inflammatory process. Um, and the omega-3s also are real, or omega-6s are involved in that process as well. So most of the omega-6 metabolites are the initial responders to an in inflammatory situation. And then the omega-3 metabolites tend to be the ones that come in hours later, days later, and clean up what happened at that site of inflammation, clear up the bacteria, clear up all the kind of the, the inflammatory markers or the inflammatory compounds needed to fight off the infection. And then we need to come and clean up. <laughs> and so they both play off each other. Um, so those are the big things that we kind of see omega-3s playing a role in. Um, I think I just talked a lot. So <laughs> that, that was probably enough info for a two-day lecture right there right yeah break that down so we're gonna we're gonna try and, and break it down a little bit further so um a couple things that you mentioned you mentioned clotting because i think um some of our patients are that's a concern with them being on like warfarin or any anticoagulants or antiplatelets also people um i have some patients that take um, omega-3s and they get bruising. So mm -hmm. what can you tell me about the interaction? Is that a concern for those patients? What what do we need to be looking for? Yeah, it's it's kind of all about the spectrum. So the warfarin is going is way more powerful than omega-3s. Mm -hmm. Full yep. stop. It's a drug. <laughs> the omega-3s, um, they elongate the clotting time of a cut. So it just takes, it's just a little slower uh, if you have a higher omega-3 level. And that could be part of that whole balance of the um, inflammatory process happening. Um, there, We've written, a, my, my dad, Dr. Harris has written, I think two papers reviewing um, severe bleeding risk. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this is in surgery. This is in um, labor and delivery. This is in um, just people taking, you know, warfarin and things like that. So when you look at severe bleeding events, omega-3s do not increase the risk of having severe bleeding events. You might have a little bit longer bleed, um, but there's no statistical, there's, there's no clinical increased risk there. Um, <clears throat> however, when some people are taking higher amounts of omega-3s, they might notice bruising. So that's not a severe bleeding event, but it could happen. And it's kind of evidence of what omega-3s are doing a little bit. Um, if it's to a point where it's really burdensome and cumbersome, I would maybe pull back 
on your dose a little bit on the omega threes and kind of see where's the level where I'm still getting something every day, but I'm not, I'm not bruising dramatically every time I touch a table or something like I always want people first and foremost to make sure whatever they're doing supplementation wise is contributing to like their daily life is, is better. (laughs) They're not like suffering in order to increase their omega-3 index. Um, and so that's, I would say that's kind of the general idea of it doesn't, it does increase your bleeding time, but it should, it doesn't actually like shut down the pathways like warfarin does. And you will uh, very little, very low, um, risk of severe bleeding events with omega-3s. Awesome. That's a great explanation. Um, so the, another thing you had mentioned was the inflammation component, which I'm like, as a, as a 58 year old, that's kind of my goal now is like, how do I keep inflammation at bay going forward? Because we know that's kind of, um, uh, the, the, marker that's going to create uh, chronic disease and illness. So your testing, um, not the basic, but the, I can't think of what the second one is. The plus. The plus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's got some, some nice markers in there. Can you kind of share those uh, ratios and, and what they would provide for a practitioner? Yeah. So um, when we measure the omega-3 index, we actually measure a full fatty acid profile of the, of the uh, red blood cell. Um, and so the, there's about 24 different types of fatty acids that we measure and can report on. And the long chain omega sixes and long chain omega threes, um, tend to play off of each other. So there's a relationship there. We, a lot of people are interested in the omega six omega three ratio. A lot of people are interested in, uh, we also report the arachidonic acid EPA ratio. So the overall omega-6 omega-3 ratio is seven omega-6 fatty acids, which includes linoleic, which is 18 carbon, arachidonic, which is a 20 carbon, and then all these kind of intermediate um, fatty acids that are more metabolic in nature. Um, It's like we don't eat them directly as much. And then we do four omega-3 fatty acids from ALA to DHA. Um, And so it's just a ratio of those two groups. We think it's pretty nonspecific. We are more, in general, we like looking at the omega-3 index more than looking at the ratios because the omega-3s respond much more quickly to diet. They're typically what's uh, truly low in the diet for most people and in the body. And when you increase omega-3s, the EPA and DHA, um, it's it actually replaces the long chain omega-6s in the membrane we're looking at. So they're pretty similar structurally. And when you get more omega-3s coming into the system, the body just switches out the omega-6s with omega-3s to a point. Um, so when people are talking about, um, if you're looking at arachidonic acid, which is really where it's a pretty major um, precursor to most of those inflammatory uh, metabolites that people think if you lower that, then you have less potential for all the inflammation. And that may have some truth to it, but the best way to lower arachidonic is to increase omega-3s. And then, so both things are happening and it's hard to say, is it because you have less arachidonic or more omega-3? So the arachidonic EPA ratio, 
talk about that more. Um, EPA is one of the omega-3s in the omega-3 index. It's EPA and DHA. So EPA and arachidonic are like kind of at the same place in the pathway of omega-6, omega-3s. So they're just really um, kind of similar structurally. And also a lot of enzymes use those fatty acids to make uh, metabolites that go into the bloodstream. So that just biological idea was why it started the ratio um, was uh, started to be looked at. But the same thing is true is that when you raise the EPA moves so much more quickly than arachidonic. Um, and so if you increase your EPA through increasing the omega-3 index, you usually bring that ratio into, into line. So um, for us, when you're looking at ratios, the first thing to do is to aim to get the omega-3 index in the in the 8 to 12 range. And if you do that, then those ratios typically fall into line um, because of increasing the denominator and decreasing the uh, numerator at the same time. Awesome. Great explanation. So, um, so this is a, a nice idea for a person to find out if they've got some systemic inflammation going on. It, it kind of, you're able to track it. You're able to monitor it. If, if we increase those omega-3 fats, we're able to influence those numbers um, dramatically. And we've seen that in our patients. Um, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we, we talk about is omega-6 being bad, but we need omega-6s just like we need omega-3s. Um, they're not bad, but they just need to kind of be kept in check, huh? Um, you know, a, a good ratio, I think the ratios, I think you guys go at like uh, less than three or five to one, omega-6 to omega-3 right in that area. Mm -hmm. What would be, what's what's the, you know, we know that like Japanese, they have really good ratios. What would be the worst ratio that you've ever seen in a patient? Um, the arachidonic EPA ratio is the one that is just wild. And part of that is because EPA levels are really, really small. And so can be, and arachidonic levels are pretty steady and they're usually like, oh, in red blood cells, I think they're in the, uh, like five to 15% range typically. And EPA can be like less than one to 6%. So if you have a less than one EPA and a 10 arachidonic moving your EPA up to two is a dramatic effect. So I think we've seen like a 70 to one ratio kind of stuff on the arachidonic EPA side. The omega-6, omega-3s are way more stable because there's just a lot more fatty acids in those. So I don't really um, know about that. But those those like target areas are primarily based on getting the omega-3s in the correct zone. Um, there, the other thing with the ratios is, um, and generally fatty acid testing, there's, it's not standardized. So lab to lab, different methods, different recommendations. <laughs> um, and when it comes to the, um, the, uh, ratios, particularly it's not defined, it's not defined with what fatty acids should go into the omega-6 omega-3 ratio. There's more omega-6s and more omega-3s we could include, but they become it's there's like less than 0.5% of fatty acids measured. So we don't, we don't report every single fatty acid that we could possibly identify because some of them are in such small quantities. Um, and so I think the research populate, like this has been a fight, a drag out fight in the research world for years, the omega six, omega three debate, 
It's still not really decided upon uh, whether or not omega-6s are terrible or fine or good. It, it's There's a spectrum. There's more agreement on the omega-3 side being like, there's a lot of evidence over here when we intervene on omega-3s. So the omega-6 side is like more confusing. <laughs> um, and so I, we try to like go to the area where there's more consensus and we feel like the data is strong, much stronger um, on the omega-3 side. Um, but I basically yeah. simplifying, simplifying that process, bringing it down to where we can actually use it as a clinician. Right. Clinicians have a whole different ball game. Like you guys have so much to deal with. Uh, we're trying to, it's, it's, it's actually shocking how simple the metric is. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's just, that's it. Uh, um, and that's it's what you eat. It's crazy. Yeah. I think that's what I, I like about it is it's it's easy to explain it and it's easy to influence and, and it's easy to turn it around. For yeah. Patients. So I, I guess, I, you know, back to that elevated uh, ratio, I guess I have this vision in, in your lab that, you know, oh, we got, you know, a level of 70 to one and they run around the lab and show up. <laughs> Maybe it's not that way. That would be, yeah. at, we'd be at our pharmacy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, one of the things that you mentioned uh, uh, earlier was you talk, you were talking about inflammation and then uh, later on resolving inflammation. Um, uh, Pro-resolving mediators, um, is that something that, that do you think uh, will be being tested in the future or where do you, where, where you, you know, maybe explain a little bit about that just quickly? <laughs> yeah, so SPM, Specialized Pro-Resolving Mediators, um, were kind of coined by uh, Harvard researcher Charlie Surhan, um, and it's it's basically those a different form of those uh, metabolites of the omega three fatty acids. So there's like these enzymes called Cox and Lox enzymes, and they are ubiquitous, and they are major enzymes in the inflammatory process. And omega threes can be um, EPA and DHA can be changed by those enzymes to make these a ton of different metabolites that typically um, can be very potent, but also very short-lived. So um, another kind of related idea around this is prostaglandins and leukotrienes. Those are more traditional um, omega-3 metabolites. And those have, those are on the omega-6 side, but also the omega-3 side. And those are very well studied and understood, and they are super powerful and potent, like some of the arachidonic derived prostaglandins are what make the uterus cramp like uh, uh, in labor and delivery. It's what causes the uterus to squeeze. <laughs> so it's like really powerful. Um, so the SPMs are kind of the new version. I kind of think of, of the prostaglandins and leukotrienes and the, and the idea is that they come in and they're like that secondary, they're kind of the healing, um, the healing compounds that go to the site of where there was an inflammatory issue cut or wherever and clean up the site and help inflammation come all the way down. So you don't kind of have that like debris and long lasting low level inflammation. That's the story we tell. Um, and I think clinically, you can kind of see why that makes sense. One of the big issues in the research world right now is there's a lot of uh, groups that 
are in, uh, I think he, it's a chromatography that they're using uh, of some kind to measure these. And there are many groups that can't identify the same compounds that the original research group used. Um, and so there's like confusion is, are these things real? Um, have we, or, or if only one group can actually continually identify them, um, should it, does that like that's controversial, but it's interesting because the group that did discover these or name these, they have made these compounds and used them in clinical trials. Um, I think they have an eye drop and some other things, and and I think it's been fairly successful. So it's like do exist, but how does it work? And part of the reason we might not be able to find it is they're so transient. They're so quickly in and out of the blood. Um, so the research is a little bit messy on that side of things. Um, so we always like to, gen in general, try to keep it to clinical outcomes when we're looking at omega-3s of like, we might not know exactly what it's doing. We think this is what it's doing, but we know if we give this dose or have this blood level, this, this outcome, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, like dying, all of these things um, are different based on what your omega-3 levels are. So that's where we like to know what's going on, but it changes with every new, you know, every new discovery and every um, things get argued about in research all the time. So um, that's kind of where that area of research is at. Well, that's the beauty of research. It's always it's always uh, evolving, which is uh, nice for our patients uh, that they can receive. So um, mm -hmm. I, I oh, PRMs are a part of my um, daily routine. And mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I feel like they've made a big difference. I think uh, in general, I mentioned I take fish oil as well. Mm -hmm. I am a mountain biker, so I was uh, bombing down a single track here, I don't know, about four or five years ago and um, fell into a ditch and came over the top of my handlebars and did basically uh, like a like an arrow going into the ground. Like I stuck. Yeah. I could see there I was maybe sitting there for a couple seconds before I tipped over. But yeah. um had a helmet on, of course. And um I walked away from that. I had uh kind of some whiplash type symptoms, but uh I don't believe I was concussed. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I think that's partly due to the omega-3 levels that I have running around my system. I think they're very mm -hmm. protective and anti-inflammatory. So that's my yeah. story. I like to share that because I think, you know, the, the amount of people and, and youngsters that are in sports that could benefit from just taking a thousand milligrams of fish oil. I mean, it doesn't have to be over the top, just get some on board or maybe even yeah. measure that, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a really interesting story. Were you taking SPN or PRMs? In omega threes at that time, or was that just? I think that was prior to. Uh, actually, not know if those are available. You know, you know what? I think I was because, um, like, uh, um, six months or a year later, one of my good buddies did the exact same thing, and one of the things that we got him on was PRM. So I'm yeah, that might have been just at the very advent of of them coming out. So yeah, yeah, because I have um, so both of those should have 
good anti-inflammatory properties. And I think what you said about having them on board is uh, one of the most important things about how omega-3s work is they are much more consistent and powerful as a preventer than as a treatment. And you don't have, if you take omega-3s for treatment purposes, doses are going to be much higher. Um, and you may not get as good a result as if you had omega-3s on board at the time of the event. Um, I know there's, for me also, one of the things that I notice when I'm either high or low on omega-3s, um, that my, like joints, my knees are much more <laughs> just pliable and not, not really painful if I have a high omega-3 level. Um, and my, and dry eyes, I used to have really bad dry eye and that's been much better. Um, when I consistently have high omega-3 levels, when sure. I forget about it, when I have obligation and I just, or I don't reorder whatever product and I let it go. Like it takes about three to four months to get to, uh, your steady state of what dose you're taking gets to whatever blood level, it takes the same amount of time to go right back down to what you were doing before and your blood levels will go down and you'll start having those same, um, same symptoms. And with the concussion stuff also, they're starting to do a lot more research around pre-season like American football, preseason supplementation, looking at following the football players throughout the season, um, looking at their omega-3 levels and, um, NFL, which is neurofilament light and marker of micro concussions. Mm -hmm. And they found that like the starters, um, who were taking the supplements versus not, uh, had lower, a, a lower increase in NFL. So it's not like you completely stop the process of brain damage. If you're mm -hmm. in an accident or something like that, it's mm -hmm. just, it's, 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 you're a little bit more protected. So it's easier yeah. to come back from it. Yeah, as an NFL player, or really any any player, you know, for mm -hmm. really for a buck a day, like, yeah. why would you not want to protect your bean? I know, right? I know, it's it's wild. Um, and and even yeah, especially like kid. I I played soccer, oh. and I know I got a concussion at one point, <laughs> like a big goose egg, and um, and I wasn't really. I mean, there weren't really good options for omega-3s for kids when I was a kid. Um, we were all kind of like normal sort of picky eaters. Salmon wasn't as even as ubiquitous. I, we, I grew up in Kansas, so it was like, yeah, it's a yeah. beef state. Um, <laughs> uh, nowadays, like my kids are having seafood more often and there's like yummy emulsions and gummies that some gummies have good enough amounts, some don't. Um, so it's, there's like a lot more, it's a little easier to get more to them. Um, and I think it's well, going to be beneficial. So I was, um, surprised to hear that sometimes you're a non-compliant patient. What's up with that? Huh? Oh, cause I'm a human being that is not a perfect person because <laughs> I have a mom, I'm a mom of two kids and sometimes I just, yeah, that's a, that's a forget. <laughs> I mean, every, I'm also a dietitian. So I know this, that's like the ultimate level of, oh, you don't have a perfect diet. How can <laughs> you know what it, what to do? How come you don't do it all the time? I'm like, is that even a question? Like <laughs> right, right? That's life. life. 
I've gotten away of my dietitian degree. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about uh, your the tests that you run, and and one of the one of the tests that I think is is very unique that that seems to be one of your focuses is uh, tests for babies and nursing moms and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, you guys have also branched out to hemoglobin A1Cs and uh, methylmalonic acid for B12. I mean, you guys have a lot of stuff going on, and I'm, I'm assuming there's more coming down the pipe, possibly? Yeah, we're trying to do uh, testing for nutritional markers that move and they mean something. Mm -hmm. um, and so... Yeah. And, and some of them are, are from collaborations with other researchers. And then we decided to bring out like the B12 one, um, was a collaboration with another research lab and the methylmalonic acid was actually super interesting to learn about. B12 is so complicated. Um, and so in, in no way is this like the ultimate marker of B12. There's lots of markers and there's, it depends on a lot of different things, but a, a subclinical B12 deficiency can have major effects for neural function. Um, and then it, and so much, and that, what I found really compelling about it is that a big part of D B12 deficiency is not that you're not eating enough. It's that you're not absorbing it as do you, uh, as you get older and your gut's not, um, working as well. Um, or if you completely avoid animal products, you're going to eventually start being depleted in B12, but it's also recycled by the liver for like 10 years. So it's one of those very subtle, <laughs> wow. um, super subtle changes. And so like testing can give you a heads up on that. Um, and the HbA1c I really like, I mean, that's just, a, it's just a classic. Right. <laughs> and it just gives it, it's, I think it's good for anyone to be checking on. Um, diabetes is like, your glucose levels are your body will try and maintain them as long as possible until it can't anymore. And so if you start seeing a creep in A1C over time, make little changes and you can avoid the big changes <laughs> later on at the whole prevention thing of like, okay, I just, can't, I, I, maybe I feel it or I can tell I'm getting weight or something. And I notice my A1C's creeping up there then maybe I commit to walking more. It's like, yeah. you don't have to, it doesn't have to be that extreme to make a pretty big difference. So all of those are new and we are looking at um, what to do next. We'd love to do something around ferritin and iron status. That'd be good. That'd be such a huge area of, of nutrition, like just massive. Um, so we're still, and uh, vitamin K2 has also been a very, people have been interested in that. It's hard to, to find the right methods and, and get, uh, accurate measurements for dry blood spot, but there's, there's all kinds of, sorry, uh, inner, uh, innovations and, and at-home collections too, that we're also looking into, but on the fatty acid side, um, I started looking at the maternal health stuff, um, several years ago. And I think it was 28. Well, first happened, we ended up, we just validated, we could measure fatty acids in a dried milk spot, like a breast milk. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're like, this is great. We know that DHA is super important for the growing brain, um, during that first year of life. 
and DHA levels in milk mirror moms and they go up and down with what you eat. Um, they actually, the milk levels change a lot faster than the red blood cell levels. Um, when mom like takes in DHA or omega-3s in the postpartum period um, and during pregnancy, baby's getting the first, like they're getting that first. So um, the mom, like we did a study where moms who were postpartum were taking like 200 milligrams of DHA and almost the red blood cell levels of DHA did not change, but the milk levels increased. It all went to milk. <laughs> this was a pretty low dose. Also, but it was just like confirmation that the kid gets the first, gets the first, you know, pickings of everything. Um, and so we were able to do that. So we're like, well, let's, let's put it out there. This is important. And then as I was looking at all the breast milk literature, it's so combined with the pregnancy literature. And there was more evidence on the pregnancy side that having DHA during pregnancy has major clinical effects versus breastfeeding. Breastfeeding literature is really hard to tease out. Is it breastfeeding or is it DHA? It's very tricky. So that's kind of, that's more of like, we know it's beneficial, but we can't say like, it's going to change. There's no, the heart, the hard outcomes are not as clear. But for pregnancy, uh, the heart outcomes are very clear. It's actually one of the clearest things I've ever seen. So in 2018, a Cochrane review, which is kind of a very high level meta-analysis, um, found a really strong effect of um, omega-3s during pregnancy, reducing the risk for early preterm birth and preterm birth um, and very low birth weight. And the reduction for early preterm birth, which was defined as having giving birth before 34 weeks gestation, uh, was a reduction of about 42%, which is huge. It's like we don't have anything that reduces preterm birth risk. There's no drugs. Like there was a drug on the market, it's not on the market anymore because it didn't do anything. Um, people I know who've had uh, preterm who have had. Uh, previous preterm birth risk, or, or they're they're showing that they're maybe going to go early. I think the only thing I've heard of is they go get shots of um, steroids throughout the pregnancy um, or bed rest. So not great, but the uh, having omega threes showed that it is it can re- elongate pregnancy, and this is something we've seen. Like if you look throughout the literature the omega-3 story in pregnancy really started around the brain development and eye development because the omega-3s are so structurally rich in those two things. And as those studies went on, they would always, you know, mark the gestational period length. Um, and that's like one of the easiest things to measure. It's like very obvious measuring the eye function of an infant or the brain function is not easy to measure or understand what the outcome is. Um, so we have all this data and then we also have some observational data. Um, there's a Dr. Olson in Copenhagen and they would look at these, uh, these kind of like the Inuit populations, but, um, the Faroe islands are like the, like Greenland where they're this very Northern isolated Island and the people eat a ton of fish because it's all they have. And they found people on that Island versus people in Denmark had, uh, and if they eat, ate, ate a, uh, three or more fish servings a week. Their babies were bigger. Their gestation was much longer. 
So they had that observational data, and then we have all of this RCT data coming up. So they put all the RCT data together for that Cochrane review. And that, when we saw that, I was like, this is our next test. We have to do this. Um, and so we were, we proposed uh, a DHA level of 5% for pregnant, for pregnancy specifically. So we didn't do an omega-3 index marker um, because much of the data points to DHA, but in pregnancy, I'd say EPA and DHA are both great. Just make sure you're getting enough DHA since there are different formulations. Some are very high EPA. Um, DHA is really key for the pregnancy period. And getting to 5% DHA is a lot. It's kind of like the low bar of the omega-3 index, um, which is a 4%. Like if you're less than 4%, you're kind of undesirable level or deficient type level. The 5% for DHA, it may not be the optimal level, but that's where we see a big difference in outcomes. So a study by Dr. Carlson at the KU Medical Center in Kansas, recently they did gave women either 200 milligrams of DHA or a thousand in a pregnancy. And what they found was um, whether or not the 200 or a thousand really re um, reduced the risk for preterm birth uh, was dependent on what their blood levels were when they came into the study. So women who came into the study with a 5% or lower DHA level, um, the 200 milligrams did the worst. They had the most preterm birth. The 1,000 milligram group had about half the rate of that group's preterm birth. So there was an effect. So wow. giving women with low blood DHA levels during pregnancy, a high dose DHA, thousand milligrams DHA is at least two, like is usually two-ish grams of omega-3s, depending, right. 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams. Um, so this is not like, a, this is a treatment dose in my mind, not a not necessarily prevention. The women who came in with DHA levels above 5%, it didn't matter if they had the higher, the low dose, they across the board had lower risk for early preterm birth and it was equal between the groups. So that's the prevention side of getting to 5% DHA is two fish servings a week. It's two to 300 milligrams of DHA. It's not a lot. Mm -hmm. So that getting that on board prior and continuing it through pregnancy versus being super low and then needing to jack up levels with high dosage two different stories in my mind, but I think so useful and compelling to why the testing should be done at the clinic with the other pregnancy testing so that they can identify women who need to go above and beyond and get that much higher dose versus women where you can encourage like continued intake of what they're currently doing. Wow. That is a lot. What I, what I need, what I'm going to need from you is I need you to get me the data. Yeah. Because I need to share it with all our baby docs in town mm -hmm. here. Just make sure that we're doing all that we can to help our, our women have yeah. babies. So, yeah. Thank yeah. you. This, this was so enlightening. What a, what a, uh, a lot of information. Um, yeah. and, uh, I think it, it comes down to, you know, we, we, 
Omega-3 should be a part of our, our nutritional dietary regimen, our foundational nutrition, as we kind of call it. Mm -hmm. um, testing testing is, is very reasonable. I mean, it's mm -hmm. 75 bucks for a, a, a you know, index test. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, we're going to, we're going to be a, a little bit more, I don't want to say forceful or maybe recommend this a little bit more than, than what we have in the past. We are podcast 15. We had Dr. Charles Sefcheck on, and mm -hmm. I don't know if you know him from Bismarck. Um, he, he recommends it. It's basically his part of his protocol when he gets patients in, he just happened to do that up front. So we're yeah. going to, we're going to do a little bit better on that. So, so Great. thank you. Thanks for joining the podcast today. I, I think our, our listeners are going to be excited about the information as hopefully they always are. So, um, <laughs> I did, you know, one of the rewards for <clears throat> doing our podcast or listening to it to the very end is that we give them a 25% off the supplement of their choice using the code, Dr. Christina Jackson podcast, but I'm going to extend that out and we're going to give you um, some special pricing on, uh, our Omega quant testing, uh, if they mention that as well. I don't know what that'll be. I think we'll just put it down as our cost. So um, we're passionate about helping our patients in any way that the, we can. So That's thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thanks for being a part of the podcast. And um, as we finish this up, I always uh, end it with uh, be vigilant about your health. Excellent. Thank you so much. As always, be vigilant about your health.